Blog Talk Radio. Saturday mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also check me out on Facebook, Saturday mornings with Joy Keys. And on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Also, email me, um, Saturdays with Joy Keys at hotmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. I also want to let you know you can now hear the show on iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher as well as here on Blog Talk Radio. Thank you so so much for your support. Remember to follow, rate, leave comments. All of it is love. Well, this morning I'm speaking with a wonderful saxophonist. It's not a man. It's a woman. Okay, everybody, look, y'all think only men play saxophones? Sister got skills, okay? This is Lakeisha Benjamin, and you just heard Pursuance from her album Pursuance. Um, she was named Downbeat by Downbeat Magazine Critics Poll as Rising Star in 2020. Good morning, Lakeisha. Hey, good morning. How are you? I am doing well. I just got off the phone with another great musician, but she's a singer, China Moses. You guys work together. Yes, we have. We definitely have. She did a a song on my second album, Rise Up, for me. Yeah, I didn't. I was like, when I was, you know, researching about both of you, and then I was like, oh, my God, this is, like, serendipitous, because I did not purposely – put you guys back to back, you know what I mean, uh, on the show, but it just worked out that way. I mean, sometimes the universe just does things like that. Um, so now saxophone, why saxophone? Where, where did that begin? Because that's like a, you know, most people think of women, oh, the flute, the violin, stuff like that. You know, it's put it in boxes. Why saxophone? Um, I kind of think it just kind of chose me. I think I'm not from the generation where we had those stipulations, like women play the violin. We didn't have any violins in our school, so I couldn't even play it if I wanted to, you know, the budget cuts, but <laughs> that wasn't an option. So I, I kind of think, you know, I, I always ask myself, why did I pick this? Because I really actually had to fight to get a saxophone because the school didn't really have any left. Mm. But I think it was just something that I I just knew. Like, you know, you kind of have, when you see something, you kind of feel like, and you know in your soul, oh, this is definitely my voice and my path. Every Everything else I picked up and tried to play and just even looked at it, 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 it didn't feel right. But once I got right. it, especially the alto saxophone, it really felt like it resonated with me. So let's talk about that. There are different types of saxophones. What are the different types? Uh, it's the same as the human voice. So it's like baritone, alto, tenor, soprano. and You can go into contra altos and all that, but those are the basics. And what type of saxophone do you play in terms of, like, the make, the model? Is there a certain one, like, you got to have this one. If this breaks, it's, like, the end of the world. I mean, what's, what's your make and model of saxophone? Um, I play Yanagasawa saxophone. Uh, this year I started them, and I definitely love it. Before that, I was a summer artist. But I always tell my students that you, you, the saxophone doesn't give you the sound. You provide the sound for the saxophone. So 
doesn't matter what set, what brand you're playing. It should help you, you know, the facility of it should help. But you can only play who you are. <laughs> right. That's right. Now, let's talk about Reggie Workman. Um, tell the audience a little bit about your relationship with Reggie and, and what what he means to you. Um, hmm, I'm not sure how to answer that question, what he means to me. I think he means to the world just he's such a phenomenal person. But in terms of the album Pursuance, why I felt it was important to have him involved is because I feel like when you're paying homage to two legendary people and trying to re- reinvent music that, was almost perfect when it first was conceived anyway. Mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it's important to not only study the music and, and kind of get deeper into the musical personalities of the people, it's important to try to understand who they were as people. And I, I've read about them, you know, all I can, but Reggie working with somebody that not only played with both Alice and John Coltrane, but he's somebody that knew them personally. He knew if they liked coffee. He knew if they what they liked to eat, where they liked to go hang out, what their day-to-day thoughts were about life mm. and I felt like that type of wisdom in terms of who the Coltrane's were you can't get that anywhere now I read somewhere that you initially thought that um Don Coltrane was Alice Coltrane's brother and, and some and liner notes you were reading oh um well my friend actually played me Alice Coltrane's album first so mm-hmm. I had never heard of either Coltrane I was a teenager and when I heard the Alice Coltrane song Turi Ramakrishna, I was I was blown away. So I started investigating all of her albums. And back then, you know, you had the C D booklet with the liner notes and I was reading in the liner notes and listing who all the people in the albums were. And she made a brief quote, I wanna thank John Coltrane for his work and something. So it didn't have any reference to it. So I thought, you know, I saw Coltrane, I thought, Oh, maybe that's her brother. I didn't want to assume immediately that's her husband or something. And I went right. to Google, and then Google immediately, you know, cleared that up right away. <laughs> this is a, a whole different force and a whole different thing, but it is true. I definitely had heard of her before I heard of John Coltrane. Let's play um, on Shanti just for the audience, and this is from your album Pursuance. Benjamin, and that was Om Shante from her album Pursuance. And on there, you worked with Michelle Indigo Cello and uh, Georgia Ann Muldrow. How was that experience? I mean, Michelle Indigo Cello is just, well, I, I had a chance to speak with her several times. Um, just talk about that a little bit, the experience of playing with good people. That was actually, I think, you nailed it, one of the highlights of the album for me. Most people think it would be some of the other tracks, but Georgia Ann Mojo is actually my best friend, and she's the one that introduced me to Alice Coltrane's music. And then Michelle Diggiocello was one of the only guests that I didn't know at all. So I actually emailed her cold turkey, told her what I was doing, hunted her down, and then soon I told her <laughs> when, she, when I told her what I, what I was doing, she was actually she's a really big Alice Coltrane fan. 
So, you know, she agreed to be a part of the project. But to me, she's somebody that, as a woman, as a band leader, as someone that is able to cross between all the genres seamlessly, that is completely herself at all times and moments, I think I always considered her a role model, you know, without Mm -hmm. even knowing it as a woman, just to see somebody that, you know, would technically sometimes be considered an underground artist go mainstream playing the kind of music that they want and you can in each album you can't put them in a box right. and succeed that way to me it's like a very uplifting thing and you know you spoke to her when you meet her always authentically herself so that's something that you can't buy that kind of inspiration you know no not at all now you have a whole bunch of other people on here as well um Keon Harold I had him on the show as well and um Mark Strickland Regina Carter um, Jasmine Horn. I mean, I, when I saw it, like, I was like, well, damn, she, what the heck? Where is the Grammy for this lady? There's <laughs> <laughs> nothing else to get all these people together. And I, I understand you did it in two days. Is that correct? Yeah, it was actually 2019, August 21st and 22nd. Wow. We recorded two 12 hour days. <laughs> How did you get all these people? I mean, you said you didn't know Michelle and Daniel Chow. Who who did you know before um, making the, the album that like you called out and reached reach out? To? I know the I know the people in my generation. Okay. I know the people in my generation, and um, I didn't I don't I don't like to think about things like that. You know, sometimes people put boundaries on us. Like if you want, I don't know, Cardi B on your CD, unless you know her, you can't get her. I like to believe that. Whatever you want to do, you can try to find a way to make it happen. And the worst thing that could happen is they say no. Mm-hmm. But as mm-hmm. long as you get into the room with somebody and you can ask the question, you, you've done all you can do. And if they say no, you can come back again. You can test your people, you know. So to me, I thought about it. Just I put on, like, a, a board my dream of who I would like to play with. My, my goal was to have legends in each generation to show how we're all connected and influence yeah. each other and pay homage to everyone. That's why I included the younger generation. But, you know, people would assume the younger generation is easy to get to. Anybody that has a name has an ego with that name. So it was just a, it was just like a, a dream, a hope, a prayer. It was all of my money, all of my ideas and everything that I put into it to try to make this happen. Team Coltrane song, Seven by John, Six by Alice. How did you decide what to include and what not to include? What was that choice? Like, did somebody help you, or everything was you? Like, I'm this is my thing, and nobody else. Yeah, every, everything, everything was me because I'm the. It was by default because I came up with the idea, and you know, people like big ideas, but I don't like to tell everyone what I'm doing, so I kind of had to sit with myself. And I, I just people say it's seven hours, seven John, six hours, but for me, I consider the Love Supreme one. So mm. I picked six John, six Alice, and the way to narrow it down for me with their you know, a large work, body of work, I just said, what are the six songs, no matter what age I was, that when I heard it, I immediately fell in love with these artists. So I went right. with those songs, and, you know, I probably got 50 apiece between them. <laughs> and then I just, you know, then I looked down again and said, okay, just like, you know, for me, what can't I leave out? I can always do right. another album, but, you know, I have to go with the songs that made, you know, made me who I am. <laughs> Now, I understand there weren't really any musicians in your family, but there was music always in your family. And uh, But there was different types because you lived with your grandparents. Talk about the different types of music that were going on in your house. 
Man, I mean, it's Saturday, so we all know in a, in a, in a black family household on a Saturday morning, <laughs> you know, you're going to have, however old your mom is, that's what you're going to listen to while she's cleaning all morning. Right, and so right. I grew up in a brownstone, so there were three floors. So if I woke up at 9 and I'm on my mom's floor, we listen to Biggie Smalls. We listen to Tribe Called Quest. We listen to MC Light. As soon as I go downstairs, it's Jackie Wilson. It's mm-hmm. Lion of Family Stone. It's James Brown. I go down one more flight, my great-grandmother, we're at Mahalia Jackson land. We're at the Clark system, you know. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's different versions. And all of my friends, I grew up in a Dominican neighborhood. So if I go outside and throw the trash, it's like suavemente. So it just, be, and, you know, that's just kind of how, like, you know, the culture is. And so if you live, if you're fortunate enough to live with multiple generations, they're going to, whether you like it or not, expose you and tell you. You don't know what real music is if you don't know, you know. No, there's a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't know Harold and the Blue Notes, you know. You, yes. You, you don't mine. know real music, oh my, <laughs> <laughs> my dad used to have tons of albums, right? And, like, I mean, it, it's just crazy. And he'd be like, no, you got to play it. So he, my dad, I was I was a teenager, and he turned me on to Pat Metheny. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I don't know any other teenager that was listening to Pat Metheny. You know, so it was just like wild. And when I got to meet Pat Metheny, I was like a little kid again. I walked yeah. into him. I was like, "I'm a, oh, he's in there." Okay. Now it was crazy. I'm a grown woman. I got a child. Everything. I turned <laughs> into a blubbering little kid when I met Pat and Pat Metheny, and he was just so nice and kind. He was just like, "Hi," and everything. When you give me, a, I said, "Oh my God." <laughs> yeah. But um, I feel you about that line. You don't know. You don't know. You need to listen to this, young. That that line is definitely the black family, you know, line. Um, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> so now this title, pursuing, what does that mean? What were you pursuing? Were you pursuing this excellence, um, these people, this state of mind? What, what what is that about? The title is actually the last thing I came up with, and pursuance did cross my mind because of the Love Supreme Suite, but it just, you know. I think in terms of all the albums I've made, this was the hardest in terms of the process that it took me, like just to get these people together, to save enough money to get it together and to come up with the idea last minute. You know, I was, I didn't have a manager then. I'm organizing the schedules. I'm organizing everybody coming in. I'm right. I wrote the music to the arrangements two weeks before we went in, mm. you know, trying to play at a level of John Coltrane and Alice Coltrane constantly while managing the business. Even once we finished the album, then it was like, now we got to edit it a certain way and master it a certain way. It just—it was such a, and it still is. Even before we got to the first gig, it feels like such a a challenge because they're mm-hmm. at such a high level. Yeah. And everything and everyone playing with me is at such a high level. It just felt like I was like I'm constantly during this album, almost like a student pursuing what they what they try to put down and, and trying to pursue these legacies that all my guest artists have. Wow. I mean, it was incredible when I read you didn't have any management and then like you were doing everything. I mean, that's like a big burden, but I mean, it came through and you, you know, it's it's a beautiful work. Let me play um, Saida's song, Salute, um, for, for the audience.
Sean Carter. How do you, as a musician, because um, if people don't know about jazz, you know, you have that at the beginning, like this kind of, I'll call it the normal part maybe or something sometimes, and then yes. like each, each, each musician goes and does a little solo. How was it decided about the solos, who goes first, how long, how does that work? Um, with my, with, with, with the guests, you know, closer to my age group, I just, this is when you solo. I'm not, I didn't, I didn't regulate them like, you know, hey, take one chorus, two chorus. A lot of my, my special guests that are in the younger generation have albums. They got careers. They they know how to behave in the studio. Mm-hmm. So I kind of was like, you know, more like, hey, this is what I want you to, they were more, they were, we were more on the same level. When do you want me to play? When you don't? Okay. Let's play together. Let's just rock and feel it out. You know, it's a studio. We can edit it, you know? Mm, the okay. older guest is kind of like, mm, I gotta <laughs> feel what you what you gonna do because I'm not gonna tell Ron Carter this when you gonna play for you now. I can hint, right, right. I'm gonna, I'm, you know, I, I have a certain level of respect. I was raised as I can say this is what I would like, but because their their knowledge and their level of music is so much higher than mine, none of them rehearse with us. So when they came into the studio, I'm hearing them for the first time play with me. So when I'm hearing them, I'm hearing not only just their input of how they're approaching the song, for the first time, I don't want to stop the momentum of the spontaneity. So mm-hmm. the band, I know what they're going to do because we had a rehearsal, but each guest that came in, the takes that they did is the first time I've heard them with the band and the first time we're reacting with them. So you kind of get that surprise in it because we don't know what they're going to play and they have not practiced their parts with us. Yeah, that's a skill. It's improvisation. You know, so that happens in theater as well. And you, you just jump in, and you never seen the person, and you're only going to see them for that 20 minutes or 30 minutes or hour, and then you never see them. You know, maybe at another yeah. gig or something. But you know, that's that. So that is a definitely a, a skill that is learned. Now, in terms of practicing and, and skills, how how many hours do you put in to practice during the week? Um, it's all it's alternated during my career. I would say, you know, the beginning I started like 12, 13. I was after school, I was I was practicing from that four o'clock time until someone threw a shoe at me and said stop. Sometimes it'd be ten, sometimes it'd be eleven. You know, I had a lot of after school rehearsals, so sometimes I would stay in the band room there and practice and just you know, the teacher would drive me home late at night so my mom knew that's where I was at. But I would say anybody, the minimum, you need eight to ten hours a day for for at least five to six years. <laughs> These days wow. it's the pandemic, I'm kinda I'm not back to eight to ten. Because, you know, the pandemic is a, a little bit driving me crazy, but I'm definitely at five or six. Wow. So I would say, so, I would say you need a lot of time. You know, you gotta, you're got you playing catch-up with people that have lived longer than you. True. Now, you play over, in, you, you did a tour over in Europe, and um, I, I read that you really like the, the Czech Republic gig. Talk about that, and why, why is that different than America, uh, American audiences and how they re- you're received over here in America? Oh, okay, I want to correct that. I'm not sure which Czech Republic gig we're talking about, but that is oh, not okay. my favorite area. But oh, it could good. be somewhere. Okay. <laughs> this, 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 it I'm not loving. Pleslin or something. Pleslin, Pleslin. Oh, I need uh, about. I, I okay. love the Czech people, but uh, oh, maybe my little jazz festival gig we just did before the lockdown. Yeah, no, no. It's not like love the, no. <laughs> no, I'm just making I'm it clear. Sorry. I'm like, sorry, Czech people, but that's not my spot. <laughs> but um. I do love in Europe, it's like there is a higher level of appreciation for arts in general. The, the goal there, even if they don't know who you are or know what you do, they are so invested in understanding and, and experiencing everyone's culture 
Mm. But if they've never heard a tap dancer from Peru, they will buy a ticket and go to the show just to see what's going to happen because they want to be exposed to that stuff. So some of my American shows, you know, I got a good following here, but it seems like the appreciation, the level, especially for jazz and more of the original music here is less than, and I, I go to a tour in Europe. Before I get to the venue, there's people lined outside with holding my photos wanting me to sign it. You know, so that's to me, so that's a true. drastically different thing, even though I'm at the same stage in my career here and there. <laughs> I, it's so true. I, I um, was over um, recently, last year I went to Portugal, and I, I found, like, you know, I'm into jazz. I, I grew up in jazz. My dad used to um, manage a jazz club, and I have family members who are jazz musicians, and so it's like there, you know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. one of those comforting things for me. So I was in Portugal, of all places, and I said, well, let me find the jazz, you know. And I found this little hole in the wall. I mean, literally like a hole in the wall. It was like a studio New York apartment size thing. And it was this jazz. And they're, oh, that's the best jazz. Okay. So I went over there. So true. That thing was packed, okay? I could not get in. I'm standing in the doorway. That's how I was standing in the doorway listening to the music and trying to look over people's heads and things like that. All Basically, I couldn't really see the musicians, so I just was like listening. You know, I mean, this, and, this is not this is not true of you, but a mm-hmm. lot of my American interviews, the first thing that we talk about is what was it like to play with Stevie Wonder? What is it like to play with Prince? What is it like to play with Alicia Keys and my hip hop status artists? Even though we're talking about my jazz album, versus in Europe, they later they want to know what is it like to play with Rashid Ali? What was it like to have Dee Dee Bridgewater? And then we move forward to okay, James Blake, stuff like that. <laughs> They go in the reverse order, I've noticed. Wow. Interesting. Very interesting, right? And we're all humans, but this is how things are perceived and, um, yeah. so you know, just their perception appreciated. On it, you know? Right, yeah. definitely. Let me play a little bit of acknowledgement. This was also from your album. That's China's mother. <laughs> So if you're just tuning in, I'm speaking with saxophonist Lakeisha Benjamin, and that was Acknowledgement featuring D.D. Bridgewater and The Last Poet. And yes, that is China Moses' mother, who I just got off the phone with. It's just, it's really, to me, I've just had so many, like, serendipitous things in my life. I, I can't not acknowledge this, this moment in time of that you guys played together, and then now you have her mother on your <laughs> album. Um, now, how was that, working with her, the last poet, um, and, and working with voices as opposed to instruments? Does it make a difference in how you handle the arrangement? I've never done a show or a gig where I haven't had a vocalist with me. This pandemic would start the first shows I've ever performed that I didn't have a singer because of the safety rules. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But to me, lyrics and music, they go together. It's almost like you can't have one without the other. It's like you get, it's great to have instruments and music and to embrace the audience that way and they feel so much. But sometimes you also need the vocals to, to you know, close the barrier. 
Mm. I think it, co- it covers the full of human experience when you have words and sound. Well, they're all sound, isn't it? I mean, it's like it's like I was they're talking all, They're all sound, but if, they're all sound, but if you're yelling at me, you know, go to the store. I can't help. I can't think for myself what mm. this song may mean. You're saying go to the store. You know, so I feel like when you just have a, a vocalist gig by themselves, and this is no downplay to them, sometimes it's missing some of the other elements of the audience being able to interpret the music for themselves. Mhm, mhm. Well, music is healing, you know, and and yeah. and, and music can be um, make you do things you don't want to do. Music is um, hypnotic, you know. It it has so much power, and music. I'm not, again not just talking about instruments, but the vocal, you know, the sound. Yeah, Sound has power, you know, and I always tell people that, like, I mean, I'm 50, okay, and, you know, when I look at the music that certain kids listen to with a lot of cursing things, like, it jars me. I can't, it grates on my soul. I can't listen mm-hmm. to that. But they can sit up there at 8 o'clock in the morning, pumping it through their cars, going by my house, you know, and um, so everybody has what is soothing to them, you know. So, yeah. you know, I, I agree with you about you need this instrument, you got the voice, and, and it affects people differently. Um, what? How do you want your music to affect people? I'm hoping that, you know, no matter who comes to see me, that they walk away with an experience. They walk away feeling changed and altered inside in some way. The, the goal for me is to touch people and not necessarily – of course I want to heal and change and motivate and inspire but I want to also give my audience members whatever they need. If you need to party, then we're going to party. If you need to, you know, turn up, we're going to turn up. If you need some kind of melancholy space where we can create together, then that's what I do. So my goal is to provide a, a place for, a safe space for the audience to emote. Well, thank you so much for creating this safe space, Lakeisha Benjamin, and I wish you so much success. And I hope to have you on again when you make your next album because I can't wait. Oh, thanks. (laughs) You have a great weekend, okay? Okay, you too. Stay safe. All right, bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Um, Just got off the phone with Akeisha Benjamin, saxophonist, and I'll be giving away some of her music. I'll also be giving away some of China Moses' music, so you want to follow me at Joy Keys on Twitter. Check me out on Facebook, Saturday mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys so that you can win a copy of either Lakeisha Benjamin's album, Pursuance, or maybe some of China Moses' album, Night and Tales. You have a wonderful weekend. Stay safe, healthy, and stay warm because it's cold now. (laughs) 